Good morning, Real Life Family. Thanks for joining us online today. I don't know how many of you have ever had to deal with uh, the issue of rumors and lies and accusations and that kind of stuff being spread, but I would venture to guess that probably a lot of you have. You've had the experience, or should I say maybe the unfortunate experience of being the subject of rumors and things being falsely made up and spread about you. Maybe it's around among your peer group or when you're in school um, or amongst coworkers, and it's really not a fun experience at all. I was recently hanging out with a friend of mine and he was telling me about how uh, back in high school, he ended up having some really hard consequences in his life that were a result of rumors. In fact, one of his friends, who was a guy he thought was one of his very best friends, had started spreading some rumors about him and it uh, really took root and spread throughout the school and it caused a lot of really hard things for him personally. Um, it caused uh, embarrassment and uh, just a general, um, just kind of separation from other friend groups and peers. And then it also caused a lot of problems later on because it stirred up all of these other issues of anger and resentment and bitterness and revenge and like all of these things are really hard things, uh, really difficult feelings for a high school student to navigate, much less, um, you know, anybody else. They're, they're tough for adults, you know, to navigate some of those feelings. And so rumors always tend to lead to hurt, right? They, they hurt people like my friend that I was hanging out with who can become the subject of rumors. And they also hurt the people that participate in perpetuating the rumors and passing them on. And rumors also do something else. They tend to lead to people making false accusations. Um, people land on false assumptions and make false accusations. Rumors always lead to hurt, right? They always um, lead to uh, bad feelings, difficult things. Um, they hurt people like my friend that was talking with me about the way the things played out for him in high school. They hurt people who are the subject of the rumors, but they also hurt the people that help perpetuate the rumors and, and keep passing them on. It does something to your soul when you're uh, on purpose or even inadvertently passing along or stirring up things that are not true. And rumors do something else. They always it seems like lead to false accusations, right? They, they start out as a, a rumor and it seems like they so easily grow into accusations and false assumptions. And we're currently seeing this play out on a massive scale in our current world and the, the times around us. Um, people are making up all sorts of things about different people and different issues and different politics and different parties. And, and then they're just posting them at, well, at will on social media or reporting them in different news sites or different fake news sites. And, and if they aren't the one that's actually starting the rumor, then they're passing it along and, and helping um, spread the rumor or the false truth or thing. And so it, rumors like this and so many others hurt. Rumors can confuse circumstances and issues and situations. They distort the truth. They distract us from the things that really matter. And, and rumors lead to people making all sorts of false accusations about a lot of times about people or about groups 
uh, or organizations that they really don't know anything about. And sometimes they, they know zero, they know nothing about it, but they make all kinds of assumptions and accusation. And it was fill, uh, fueled by things that were rumors, false truths, uh, things that were inaccurate. And with all that's going on in the world right now, I, I think it's, it's easy to look at our circumstances. And I think uh, what I hear a lot of people saying is this is really... Uh, a modern day problem. In fact, they, I've heard a lot of people say, our situation right now, the way people are so polarized, the way they're so divided over every issue is due to the time that we live in because, because of social media, because there's so much news uh, immediately available. That's a huge part of the cause of why uh, rumors spread so fast and why things are so divided and why the world is such a mess that it uh, seems like it is to the point where there's like chaos and riots and, and, and just a mess going on around us. And I would like to challenge that assumption a little bit and tell you that really it's not just a modern day problem. And we can sort of get tunnel vision in the little slice of history that we live in and think that this is really a big issue right here. The truth is it's been a big issue throughout history. There have been so many times before us that the world has fallen into chaos and people have been uh, greatly polarized on various sides of issues and they just can't seem to get along over anything. And I think it's pretty timely that today is a day that we're going to be studying uh, Acts chapter 21 because Acts chapter 21 is a passage that's full of rumors and false accusations and chaos and riots. And I think it's a timely message for the things that are going on in the world around us. And I think we can learn from the church leaders of that day. We can learn from Paul and we can look at how did Paul handle himself? How did the church leaders navigate through these chaotic times that were full of false accusations and rumor spreading and chaos and hard stuff? Like, what did they do? How did they handle it? All right. So um, with that in mind, I'm going to get us ready to jump into Acts chapter 21. But in order to get into Acts chapter 21, I kind of have to set the stage a little bit because we're about to enter into a story. And if you don't know the pre-story, if you don't know the setup, um, kind of jumping into Acts 21, you'll miss some of the depth and understanding of the passage. So, so let me get us set up for Acts chapter 21. Here's the deal. Uh, we're going to see Paul re-entering Jerusalem. What you need to know is it's been 10 years since Paul was last in Jerusalem. The last time he was in Jerusalem was for uh, a really important meeting with the apostles. It went down in history uh, by the name uh, or a reference of this meeting was called the Jerusalem Council. It was recorded in Acts chapter 15. We talked about it some weeks ago when we went through that part of the book of Acts. And that, that meeting there was a meeting of the early church fathers, the apostles and leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, we're talking about the Christian church. And the meeting was all about trying to nail down and decide, did Gentiles, now remember, Gentiles are just anybody that's not a Jew, right? And so did Gentiles, non-Jewish people, could they receive salvation without becoming Jewish? And what was determined at the Jerusalem Council is that uh, God had made it abundantly clear to Peter and others that the Gentiles had been invited in and that they were not required to be circumcised or follow the Jewish laws and customs and traditions, that the 
the Gentiles could receive salvation and receive the same Holy Spirit that the Jews received um, by putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And so this was a monumental decision in the history of the faith at the time. And so they decided to write a letter uh, documenting these details so that when Paul and others went out on missionary journeys and planted churches and spread the gospel message to Gentile nations where there were people full of people that were not Jewish, they would have affirmation, proof, that the, the leaders of the church had verified that the Gentiles could come in. And that's exactly what happened. They wrote this letter and they said, explained that they had come to terms with this agreement, that it was clear to them, that God had made it clear to them that the Gentiles could come in, that they didn't have to be circumcised, they did not have to become Jewish. All they were required to do, in addition to their uh, faith in Christ, was to uh, abstain from eating food that was offered to idols, uh, don't drink blood, don't eat anything that had been strangled, and avoid and stay away from sexual immorality. And so those were things that were spelled out in the letter. And so Paul takes that letter and goes out and begins his missionary journeys. And so over the last several weeks, we have been... Um, digging into the book of Acts, and we've been looking at all of these different places that Paul went, and Lystra, and Iconium, and, and Derby and Corinth, and, uh, and, and all these different places. And so for years, Paul is out um, traveling, and this letter uh, is a big part of his ministry to support the fact that the Gentiles um, can receive salvation without um, having to become Jewish. Another part of Paul's uh, mission field and, and uh, focus as he was out on the mission field was fellow Jews. Because you see, you've got to remember that Paul was a Jew and he described himself as a Jew among Jews. He was very devout. And so everywhere Paul went when he went out in the mission field, he would first go to the synagogue in the town uh, or the region, which was essentially the Jewish church. And so he would go there and he would teach and reason with his fellow Jews to help them understand from their own scriptures how Jesus actually was the Messiah that was prophesied and written about from the scriptures. And so there's a couple of things going on as Paul traveled out and was out on these missionary journeys. Um, there are these two different groups of people, and sometimes it gets a little confusing, so I'm going to simplify it probably a little more than some would like, but let me just help us understand it. There's Gentiles and there's Jews. Paul made it clear as he uh, evangelized and shared the gospel with people that Gentiles, anybody that was not Jewish, could become a Christian. They could become saved by putting their faith in Jesus and being baptized. They didn't have to be circumcised. They did not have to become Jewish. The Jews could become Christians by putting their faith in Jesus and being baptized. The Jews did not have to become un-Jewish in order to become a Christian. And that's a really important distinction for us to understand when we're reading through the scriptures because that's at the heart of a lot of the beef with uh, Paul and other apostles and missionaries that were uh, trying to evangelize and share the gospel with Jews. And so Paul never was out to talk his fellow Jews into becoming un-Jewish or not obeying the Jewish laws and commands. In fact, everywhere he went, he obeyed and maintained uh, Jewish culture and tradition and followed the laws. And so there's those things going on. And so as he's out, he sees all these thousands of people being baptized. There's all these amazing things that happen. And then eventually he's going to work his way back to Jerusalem. 
And you can imagine the excitement and uh, just all that he would have been looking forward to after being gone for so long to be anxious to see the, the, or the other church leaders in Jerusalem and to see friends and, and long lost buddies and pals and, and to catch up and, and wondering how the church in Jerusalem is doing because he'd seen so many places around the world, how some places it flourished and other places it just shrunk back and was attacked so strongly. And to, to be able to go and get a, a firsthand account of how the church was doing in Jerusalem. So, so here we have Paul. He's got three huge missionary journeys under his belt. He's traveled with a, a whole different host of different companions over the years. And we're 11 years later and he's arriving back in Jerusalem. And as he arrives, he's got some companions with him. Some are longtime companions, like Luke, who's the author of this text, is with him. And then other companions are newer, who are uh, Greek or Gentile Christians that are coming to Jerusalem with him for the first time. And, and it's also important to note that they didn't just randomly pick a time to come back to Jerusalem. They were purposely coming to Jerusalem to celebrate a feast called Pentecost. And it was one of the three uh, Jewish festivals that would require uh, Jewish adult men to travel back to Jerusalem to celebrate these festivals. And so the festival of Pentecost is also known as the uh, Feast of Weeks. Uh, it's 50 days after Easter. And so they're coming back to celebrate Pentecost in Jerusalem. And so here, it's, here we have Paul, this devout Jew, honoring his Jewish tradition to come back and celebrate with his brothers uh, and sisters and family a Jewish festival in Jerusalem. And so that's what was going on leading up to uh, Paul returning to Jerusalem. So with that stage set and kind of a right picture of what happened since he was last there, let's jump into the text. It's in Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 17. It goes like this. It says, when we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. The next day, Paul went with us to meet with James and all the elders of the Jerusalem church uh, were present. Um, after greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things that God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. And after hearing this, they praised God. And then they said, you know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed and they all follow the law of Moses very seriously. So, First of all, imagine how excited James and the other uh, leaders of the church in Jerusalem would have been to see Paul and to get a first-hand eyewitness account of what was happening out in the, to the ends of the earth with the Christian church movement. Like, how, how was it going? I mean, they'd heard reports, and they'd probably heard second- and third-hand stories from travelers that had come to Jerusalem, but to get an update from Paul himself from his own lips of what was happening on all these adventures and missionary trips that he had been on it would have been just amazing. And so Paul does something pretty cool, something really important actually for us to take note of because as Paul recounts what happened out on his trips, he specifically recounts and frames it in a way where he says, he tells them about all of the things that God accomplished out on his trips. You see, it's important for us to understand and remember as we are kind of sharing testimonies and sharing stories that, that we need to learn from Paul. Paul was not here coming back to Jerusalem to tell his story. It wasn't about the, the missionary adventures of Paul. It wasn't about the epic healings and miracles that Paul did. It, this was not 
the, the Paul show, he made it crystal clear to everybody that the stories he was telling, the miracles that happened, were all about all that God had accomplished among the Gentiles and the Jews as they traveled throughout the countries. And so this report obviously was a, a cause for huge celebration. And, and then the church leaders point out something else to him. They say, you know, what's interesting is that there's even more good news because in addition to all that God did through the Gentiles, like so many Gentiles coming to faith in Christ, in addition to that, literally thousands upon thousands of Jews have become believers. They have put their faith in Christ. And, and what an amazing, awesome thing that is. And they note that they still zealously, seriously, passionately followed the law of Moses. Like they didn't give up their Jewishness. They didn't shy away from maintaining their commitment to the Jewish laws and traditions when they put their faith in Christ. And they point that out on purpose. And the thing is, though, here, the celebrations were short-lived because the local leaders knew that there was a problem brewing, and the problem was the result of constant rumors and lies. And this was nothing new to Paul. It seems like everywhere he went, he dealt with, at some point, false accusations, lies being spread about him, rumors being stirred up about who he was or what his motives were or where he was what he was about or you know, what he wanted people to do or not do. Like it was just a constant battle. And so it didn't seem like it was a brand new thing to Paul, but the leaders of the church in Jerusalem knew that uh, problems were brewing. And so it's like, all right, now what? Now what are the problems? Now what's the big beef? What's going on? So let's take a look. Let's pick it back up in uh, Acts 21, verse 21. It says this, but the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been uh, told that you are teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the law of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow other Jewish customs. What should we do? They'll certainly hear that you have come. So here, we've got to understand. So here it is. More lies, right? More rumors, more gossip. And, and it's all aimed at attacking Paul personally about what Paul specifically was teaching. The cool thing is, is the first thing Paul did when he got back to town is he said, this is the account of all that God has accomplished. Like he, right away, he was quick to say that everything that's happened out there has been what God has done. He, he wasn't putting all of this on himself so that as the people attack him, they could also, you know, um, erode what God had done or the stories of how God had worked. And so um, these rumors and lies are just that. They're just more rumors and lies. And the, the reality is Paul never taught the Jews that he encountered out among the Gentiles. He never taught them to abandon their Jewish faith, right? And quite the contrary. He practiced his Jewish faith with them and in front of them. And, and he never taught them uh, not to circumcise their children. In fact, when Paul gained Timothy as a disciple, if you recall several weeks ago or, or months now, when we were studying about when he found Timothy as a disciple, Timothy had a, a Jewish mom and a Gentile father. And Paul taught uh, or asked Timothy to be circumcised because he was half Jewish. And it was like it, he was going to err on the side of honoring his Jewishness. 
to not stir up or cause any problems either, you know, later. And so here we see this great example of Paul honoring uh, the Jews and honoring their commitment to the law and to circumcision. So here's the thing. Thankfully, the Jew or thankfully the church leaders in Jerusalem were supportive and understanding of Paul. They didn't believe the rumors. They knew it wasn't true, and they had an idea on how to maybe put the rumors to rest, to sort of squelch everything right here and now so it didn't get out of control. And so in uh, verse 23, let's jump back into the text, and it sort of tells us what their idea was. What's the solution? How do we deal with these rumors? It goes like this. Verse 23 says, here's what we want you to do. We have four men uh, here who have completed their vow. Go with them to the temple and join them in the purification ceremony. Praying, uh, paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved, then everyone will know the rumors are all false and that you yourself observe the Jewish laws. And as the Gentile believers, they should do, or as for the Gentile believers, they should do what we already told them in the letter. They should abstain from eating food offered to idols. They should uh, abstain from consuming blood or uh, the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. So Paul went to the temple the next day with the other men, and they had already started the purification ritual. So he publicly announced the date when their vows would end and sacrifices would be offered for each of them. All right, so here's the deal. We're reminded of a really important principle here. The, the principle at play here is that actions speak louder than words. And so the, the leaders in the church in Jerusalem, they're trying to uh, head off these rumors and lies before they get stirred up out of control. And so they're like, you know, the best antidote to lies and false things being said and rumors being said, the best antidote to that is truth. So Paul, here's our advice. You go be you. You go live out your faith, like put your faith on display, show everybody that you are an honorable Jewish man, that you are supporting these men in their vow, that you're even willing to pay for their heads to be shaved. And, and there's all kinds of stuff that we don't have time to unpack with that. But they, they were saying like, practice your Jewish faith in front of everybody. And then everybody can see for themselves that you yourselves are a Jew and you're honoring and practicing the Jewish faith. And certainly you wouldn't teach things that you're not actually doing yourself. And so that's what he went and did. And the truth is, here's where things get tough. Here's where things start to get unfair, like life often does, is sometimes, no matter how we live our lives, no matter um, how perfect we live them out, whether we do the right things the right way, we say the right things, um, it, no matter how sincerely we live out our faith, people still find a reason to hate. They still find a, a reason to lie, to stir up rumors and problems. And, and that's exactly what happened with Paul here in Jerusalem. So I want to read the rest of the passage with you, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking it and talking about it before we finish this morning. The next chunk is in Acts 21. It starts in verse 27. It goes like this. The seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob against him. They grabbed him and, and they were yelling, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. 
He speaks against the temple and even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. And it said earlier in the day they had seen him in the city with Trophimus, uh, which was a, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they just assumed that Paul had taken him into the temple. Well, the whole city was rocked by these accusations, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and he was dragged out of the temple and immediately the gates were closed behind him and they were trying to kill him. Word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out uh, his soldiers and officers and he ran down among the crowd. And when the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander arrested him and he ordered him bound with chains and he asks the crowd who he was and what had he done. Well, some shouted one thing and some shouted another. And since he couldn't find out the truth and all the uproar and the confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress. And as Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent that the soldiers had to actually lift him up on their shoulders to protect him because the crowd followed behind him yelling and screaming, kill him, kill him. It's a pretty violent scene that we're imagining here. If we recall a couple of weeks ago, we were learning about uh, the riot in Ephesus and how the whole city was in an uproar and his friends and leaders told him, don't go in there, surely you'll get killed. Like this would have been a little bit like the in there, in the middle of the riot, like Paul was experiencing the middle of the riot in Jerusalem. He's hauled out on the shoulders of Roman soldiers to protect him because the whole crowd wants to kill him. And we're getting a glimpse here of what rumors and lies and false accusations lead to. They lead to chaos and confusion and riots and mobs. And in this case, it was a riot that ignited the whole city, stirred up against Paul. Now, here's the hard part is the truth is that even when you live the right way, when your actions do line up with your faith, um, when you are committing your life to help others get to know and follow Jesus. You're quick to give God the credit when amazing things happen and God's at work in your life and around you. And there's just a struggle, this challenge, this injustice, it seems, that, that there's just no amount of right living and right choices can protect you from the enemies of God. The truth is, as a Christian, you will be lied about. You will experience rumors being spread about you. And enduring persecution is part of the Christian journey. It's not on the highlight reel of evangelism tracks of how hard it's going to be, but the reality is, the reality is enduring and persevering through persecution is part of what it is to be a Christian because we are joining a family that has enemies. And how we live our faith and walk out our Christianity in the face of persecution says a lot more about our Christian walk than how we walk it out when things are good and easy, right? Like it's easy to be a Christian when it's easy. How does your faith hold up? when you're lied about, when you're persecuted, when rumors are made up about you, when you're falsely accused? How does your faith hold up? Now, 
What you might not realize is the story that we just read about, the events that took place in Acts 21 are monumental um, events in the life of Paul. These events mark a turning point in Paul's life. From this point forward, the entire rest of the book of Acts, all of the things that we're going to study in this point forward, all of the things that happen in Paul's life, everything that goes on, all of it is a result of this rumor mill in Jerusalem, these false accusations, these lies, the, the mob that stirred up against him, the arrest here in that scene at that time. Like this story is a turning point in the life of Paul. But how Paul lives out his life in spite of this turning point, in spite of all of these events, may be, may be his greatest strength. Because few of us are ever going to have to endure the kind of persecution that Paul did. Few of us are ever going to have to go through the types of rumors and lies being spread about us the way that Paul did and the way Paul had to experience. But we are going to face persecution. And the problem is when we face persecution, when we, when we deal with, it seems like a lot of the times, when we deal with people telling rumors about us and, and lies and falsely accusing us of things, um, we easily get mixed up in the chaos and the riot and the world around us. And we can start to want to defend ourselves or argue and uh, just kind of fight back and, and, and make our way out of the crowd, right? And our own strength to prove ourselves. But that's not what Paul did. And I think if we remember, it's not what Jesus did. Instead, Paul stayed focused on the mission and God used him in amazing ways in the, the weeks to come after this, the months to come after this, and the rest of the story as we go forward in his life throughout the rest of the book of Acts. God used him in amazing ways to continue to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and near the end of Paul's life, he had some pretty profound words to say. Um, he was going to encourage a dear friend and disciple of his, Timothy, and I think that the words Paul wrote years after this event in Jerusalem, and he wrote them to encourage his friend and disciple Timothy, I think they're words that probably a lot of us, a lot of you, need to hear today. And so I want to read them to you this morning. And, and I don't know if you've ever personalized scripture where you uh, put your own name in it as if the author was writing it to you just to help it sink in and kind of really be real and resonate with you. This is a great passage to imagine taking Timothy's name out of the text and putting your name in. If Paul was writing encouragement to you, I think he would write the same thing to any one of us today. So let me read it for us. It's in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 10, it goes like this. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in my life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and in Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. He says, yes. And everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They'll 
deceive others and they themselves will be deceived. And so you see, Paul knew firsthand how hard it can be to stay focused when it seems like evil people around you are flourishing, when it seems like the the wrong people that aren't living the right way, that aren't living their lives for God, that are even actually against God. Somehow it seems like life always keeps working out for them. It's like they win the lottery after doing some terrible thing, right? Like it's so hard to stay focused when the wrong people seem to succeed. But listen closely to the advice that Paul gave Timothy in the rest of this passage. It's the same advice he would give you if he could write these words to you today. Picking it up in verse 14, it goes like this. But you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know that they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach Uh, us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You see, these are like Paul giving us the keys to endurance, right? To stay in the course when people are telling lies about you, when there are rumors being spread about you, When all those things are going on, he says, get in God's word because God's word tells the truth about you. When when there's rumors about your family, get in God's word because God's word reminds you of whose family you're in and what's right and true about your family. When you're not sure which way to go or how to respond to circumstances in your life, you get in God's word and it teaches you to do what's right. He says, when you're not sure if you're ready for all that's coming, you don't know what's coming down the pike in life, and you're looking at the circumstances right now in the world around us, and it's like chaos everywhere, and people are polarized, and you don't know how to respond if you should go back to work or not go back to work. Should you come to church or not come to church? Should you ignore corona altogether, or is it still really a thing? What are you going to do in the election? Like, what's going to happen five years from now? Should you go back to school or choose a different path? Like, there's all these what-ifs about the future, and you're not sure how to proceed Paul says, get in God's word because it's there to prepare and equip you for whatever life brings. So as we finish up this morning, I just want to kind of finish with this thought is that many of you have great discipline to be in God's word. It's a part of your daily life. You've built it in over years. And it's, it's beyond a habit. It's part of who you are. It's your character, your nature. You're in God's Word. You're eating and learning and studying. And it is doing these things for you, teaching you and equipping you and correcting you, right? It's a part of how you walk your walk. But for a lot of people watching this, you don't really have a daily discipline to be in the text. Being in God's Word on a regular basis is not a part of your actual life. And I know for myself, when I ask people, how is their time in the Word, a lot of people will give me kind of shaky answers like, well, it's sort of hit and miss. And I always translate that as it's mostly miss, right? That's like when mom says maybe, that always means no, right? Uh, So like some people say, it's well, it's hit and miss. And then other people don't have any time in the Word because they don't even know where to start. 
they're intimidated or maybe they don't even have a Bible yet. And so I want to finish this morning with a little challenge for us as a church. Because no matter what the road ahead has in store for us, personally and as a church and in our community, God's Word is going to be the best light on our path ahead. It's going to be the best teacher and equipper and preparer and reminder of who we are of, of, through, through everything that we could go through. And so my challenge is this. For one month, I'm going to challenge everybody in our church to join me for Jesus time every day. For those of you that don't know what Jesus time is, every Monday through Friday morning, 8 a.m., I do a Facebook Live video. It's 8 to 15 minutes. I spend time in God's Word, and I talk about God's Word. I read the Scriptures and then talk a little bit about what God's showing me, uh, maybe some nuggets or things to chew on. I give you thoughts or things to chew on, and then that's it. It's short, it's sweet, and it's to the point, and it's only about God's Word. That's, that's how it goes every morning. Now, it's live at 8 a.m., but if you can't catch it live at 8 a.m., you can watch on my Facebook, on our church Facebook, or on our church YouTube channel later in the day at any point. A lot of people come on and watch it after work. And so my challenge is this. Fourth of July is our deadline. That If you watch it every Monday through Friday from now until the 4th of July, you will have committed five days a week to be in God's Word for a month. And I wonder how many of you have ever had that, that discipline, have ever actually could say, I've been in God's Word every day for a month for real. So that is my challenge for all of us as a church, is to be together in God's Word every day for a month. Uh, if you jump on Jesus Time, be sure to comment. Let us know that you're there. And uh, we're excited to see you, whether it's tomorrow morning or sometime later in the day. Um, Jesus time is going to be a part of our life as a church for the next month. So thanks for joining us on that. We're going to finish up with communion together. So if you've not uh, grabbed your elements for communion, now would be a great time to do that. And uh, I'm going to go grab mine, and then we're going to come back and take communion together. Every week at Real Life, we finish our time together by taking communion. And for us as believers, communion is a time where we remember what was accomplished for us by Christ on the cross. And so we remember that um, He sacrificed His body and His blood. And through that sacrifice, He made a way for our sins to be forgiven. And He made a way for us to receive God's Spirit that uh, ensures that not only are we a part of God's family, that we have also entry to heaven and and that's just a pretty fantastic thing to have that kind of comfort and peace and security to know where we're going in addition to being a part of God's family and a part of the kingdom here and now and so that's what we're gonna do this morning as we finish we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed he took the bread and he broke it and he told his, his disciples as often as they get together to eat this in remembrance of him so let's eat the bread together In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and told them that this cup represented a new covenant, which was uh, symbolized um, by his uh, shed blood. And so as we drink the cup, we're remembering the shed blood of Christ and um, that it brings forgiveness of our sins. And so let's drink together. Please join me and pray uh, before we finish this morning. Father God, we love you and we just thank you so much for your word. 
We thank you for um, Paul and his perseverance and faithfulness to the mission that even when all kinds of adversity come his way, he shows us what it looks like to just stay on the course, to stay the path. And I just pray for us as a church and individuals, Lord, in the face of all that's going on in the world around us, that we could uh, follow him in his footsteps and be single-minded of purpose and mission like he was, that we would uh, be focused on growing in our knowledge and understanding of you and helping others do the same. And so we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody, sounds good. Those of you that are going to be involved in the leader or volunteer webinar, I will see you all tonight at 7 o'clock. Everybody else, just know that uh, as soon as we let our leaders know, we'll be putting info out next week about uh, church reopening details and when and where that's going to happen. We're just letting our leaders and volunteers know first tonight, and then we're going to all work together to spread the word to the rest of our church and our community. So thanks for being with us, and we will uh, see you again soon.